So to get started this morning, I want to do a little gut check and see who's here. So by a show of hands, if I, if I say the name Indigo Montoya, you know, okay, all right, all right, we'll advance it up a little bit. Who here knows the three dangers of the fire swamp? Ooh, that was a little tougher. A few. There you go. So I ask these questions because today's Spirit Flix movie is The Princess Bride. And, and I'm aware that not many, not everybody who has seen the movie, um, partly because it was actually released 25 years ago next month. In the United States, it was released in September of 1987 to nine screens. By November, it had hit 800 screens. So it's what we call one of those sleeper movies. But at 25 years old, as much as it hurts me, it's also maybe now a classic. (laughs) And for a certain segment of the population, most of you here that I saw raise your hands, at least at Indigo Montoya, um, The Princess Bride remains something of a cultural touchstone. It's one of those movies where we fans will drop pieces of dialogue into conversations just to see if anybody else gets the joke. And they usually do. Um, And, uh, oh, by the way, the dangers of the fire swamp. Ready? So it was the flame spurt, the lightning sands, which are like quicksand but really fast, and the R-O-U-S's, the rodents of unusual size human-sized rats or something like that. (laughs) So the movie itself, if if you remember or have seen it recently, it tells a story within a story. The outer story is that there's this young boy, and he's he's sick at home from school. And um, I'm going to try to raise this up a little bit. And his grandfather comes to tell him to read him a book. Um, And a book his father had read to him, and who, and who the grandfather had read to the boy's father himself. And the book is called The Princess Bride, and it tells the story of a young woman named Buttercup. There we go, there's Buttercup. Um, in love with her farm worker, Wesley. And being a poor farm worker, Wesley needed to, in order to marry her, wanted to go out and seek his fortune and come back. So he leaves Buttercup on the farm, and he goes out to seek his fortune Unfortunately, he gets captured by the dread pirate Roberts and apparently killed. And so distraught and lost, Buttercup for years doesn't know what to do, and she ends up betrothed to the evil Prince Hupperdink, (laughs) who seems to be more interested in starting a war with a rival kingdom than in Buttercup's happiness. And so the story takes us from the cliffs of insanity through the fire swamp and into the pits of despair. The film carries us through this interwoven and intersecting stories of, of this young, of this small man here, this Sicilian criminal of some intellect. <laughs> the giant named Fezzik and the gentleman in the middle, the aforementioned Indigo Montoya, a Spanish swordsman bent on avenging the death of his father at the six at the hands of the six-figured man. So for those of you who haven't seen the movie or haven't seen it in a while, I really highly recommend 
taking the chance to see this movie again or see it for the first time. I got it at the library. It's, it's pretty easy to find. Um, it really is great fun. It tells a wonderful story about the power of true love, and not to mention it contains really, honestly, the greatest sword fight ever put on film. Okay? You look it up on the Internet. There are some that argue that the Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader one was better. No, no, they're wrong. Um, between the Masked Man and Indigo Montoya is really the best one ever filmed. So I was revisiting the film this week and in, in anticipation of giving this message, and I had a lot of thoughts of, what, uh, of where I thought I might take it, but um, really what occurred to me was what this film does, above all, it really points to how our stories connect us. And through those connections, our lives become formed up. Our lives form up, and our relationships open up, and are deepened. So um, the story, again, is, is really about this grandfather reading a book to his, his, his 10-year-old grandson. And the uh, grandson isn't really interested at first. And only on the promise of plenty of adventure does he acquiesce to listening at all. And when it comes to the kissing scenes between Buttercup and Wesley, the boy is completely disgusted. (laughs) But, you know, as the story unfolds, as he reads the story, the adventure continues and the grandson becomes engaged, transfixed on the characters and the arc of the story. So much so that when the grandfather reaches the end of the book and the final embrace between Wesley and Buttercup, the boy encourages him to read on, no longer disgusted. And this kid's about 10 years old, and he begins the film with really not much in which he can engage his grandfather. His grandfather's just another one of these adults that treats him like a little baby, right? And he's, he doesn't really want his grandfather around. And I think it's because he's, you know, at his age, he's kind of standing on this edge of adolescence. And he only has this really narrow view of his interests. They're sports and video games, right? But through the reading of the story, his view of the world starts to broaden a little bit. He begins to understand the power of love or the power of sacrifice and suffering He perhaps begins to think about heroism and honor. And in so doing, his relationship with his grandfather starts to deepen. I think for this family, the book had become part of their shared language, part of their shared metaphor. The ritual of reading the book, telling the story of the Princess Bride, becomes part of their family story, connecting them together through the arc of their lives. And it connects for them, it forms them, becomes part of their identity, part of who they know themselves to be. So in watching this, it occurs to me that there's something really sacred in the telling of our stories. You know, one of the core values here at Wellsprings is that we believe that each of us yearns for connection with each other and with the sacred. And in our, in our value statements, we call this the ripples of connection. And for myself, I experience God. I experience the divine. I experience the holy most strongly when I deepen my relationships to others, when I connect to others in ways, particularly in ways 
that are unforeseeable, ways that aren't necessarily logical or rational or linear, but kind of push that edge of mystery. When I connect through that edge of mystery with other people, that is where I experience the divine. So this morning I wanted to share a little part of my own story, part of my story that's kind of rife with these sort of mysterious connections and that push, for me, at least the edge of mystery. So the story starts with a guy named George. And George was an architecture student at the University of Illinois in the mid-1930s. And when he was a student there, he joined an architecture fraternity called Alpha Rho Chi. And George would, would graduate in the late 30s um, with his degree, and he'd start work as an architect. He got married, and uh, he and his wife had a, had a child, a young son. But like so many, too many of the young men of his era, he was called up to fight in World War II. So George has to leave his wife and his infant child and go off to Europe to fight the Nazis. George would be killed in Europe. And his son would grow up not really knowing his father, not really knowing much about him at all. Now, George's son's name is George, but I'm going to call him Pete, mostly because I do call him Pete, and it makes the story easier to follow. So Pete grows up, gets married, has a family, and one summer, he takes his high school-aged daughter off onto a road trip, a summer road trip to see colleges in the Midwest. And they go to Purdue University, and they were headed, I think, to Northwestern And when they were at Purdue and they were leaving Purdue, Pete decides that he wants to take a little side trip down to the University of Illinois. And he wants to maybe connect in some way to the father he never knew. And he knew he went to the U of I. He knew he was in Alpha Rochi. And so they take this little side trip a couple hours away from Purdue. And they, um, Pete and his daughter drive down there and they um, locate the Alpha Rochi house. And it's in the middle of summer, so normally nobody would be there, but for whatever reason that weekend, the house was full of people. And it had, it had become co-ed over the years, so all these young men and women you know, warmly greet Pete and his daughter and invite them in and give them a tour of the house and even show them there's a bookcase in the library that's the George Higgins Memorial Bookcase. It was a memorial to Pete's dad. And so... Uh, Pete and his daughter, they tour campus, they talk to the people at the school, and by the end of their day there, his daughter had decided, not Purdue, not Northwestern, Illinois is where I want to go. Now, in the meantime, I was living in Arizona. And I had grown up in southern Illinois, and it was my dream to attend the University of Illinois for, for as long as I could remember. But... Around the time when Pete and his daughter were wandering through the campus at Illinois, I was 1,600 miles away in Phoenix, Arizona, falling in love for the first time. And as first loves are wont to do, my plans were changing. And I was ready to give up my dream of the University of Illinois and instead follow my girlfriend into Arizona State University. However, my girlfriend was smarter 
and more rational than I was. A story that continues to this day. (laughs) And I think she knew two things. She knew the fragility of first love, and she knew the importance of following your dreams. So she convinced me that I didn't need to follow her into Arizona State University, but I needed to follow my dream into the University of Illinois. So, and so it was. 25 years ago, about the same time that this movie is out in the theaters, I'm standing in front of the George Higgins Memorial Bookshelf meeting George's granddaughter, Pete's daughter, Caroline, for the first time. Caroline and I would eventually get married. And that story of our meeting really continues to form who we are, who we know ourselves to be to this day. Now, our meeting was not guaranteed. A a thousand different choices, a thousand different decisions, a thousand different circumstances, any of which could have radically or even subtly changed the arc of our lives and we would never have met. All of, those, all of those things that happened from, from George being at Illinois and, and dying in the war and Pete wanting to know something about his father and they take the side trip, all of that could have just, any of those choices could have uh, changed the arc. I could have changed the arc. And I, I think of them as, as you know, those pe- pebbles, those ripples of connection, you know, those pebbles dropped in the water and all those ripples go out and they interconnect in just unpredictable ways. And for whatever reason, all those pebbles dropped in the water and all those ripples interconnected so that I would meet Caroline. And I tell you this story not just simply to tell you how I met my wife, which is important to me, right? But I share this story because how I met Caroline is actually connected to Wellsprings, to all of you. And if I were to stand here and tell you all the interconnections that tie our story of meeting together to each of you here today, it would really take far too much time, and we don't have that time. So perhaps it will suffice to say that without the story I just shared, it is doubtful I would be here talking to you today. But more than that, more importantly than that, and why I want to share this story is because I have a bet. I have a bet that when I was telling you this story of how Caroline and I met, there was something in that story that resonated with you. Some piece of my story resonated with your story. Perhaps you had a loved one lost in a war. Perhaps you traveled with your children or are planning to travel with your children or you traveled with your parents on a trip to see colleges or just a summer vacation, but something that changed the arc of your life, changed the line. Perhaps you recall how you met your spouse or your best friend. My bet is that there's some piece of that story that connected you and I together in a way that we would not be if I hadn't have shared it. Everyone here has a story. Some are stories of true love. Some are stories of revenge. Some are stories of miracles. And they're full of adventure like the Princess Bride. We find ourselves scaling the cliffs of insanity, escaping the pit of despair, 
or successfully navigating those three dangers of the fire swamps of our lives. In our stories, we are often heroic, even if we don't think that we are. We are guided by the power of true love, even when we think the most precious thing in the world to us has been lost. It's all there. All of this film, all of the adventure and story of the Princess Bride, it's all there embedded in our own lives. Nothing about our lives is ordinary, the Reverend Kathleen McTeague writes. Held up against the shadows of pathways not taken, countless catastrophes that could have snuffed out the spark, the spark that led to this beating heart, to these wondrous hands. Every life is gift and grace, fragile and astonishing and unrepeatable. I think, too, that our stories are fragile. They are fragile and as vulnerable as the lives they illustrate. This is because we're the editors of our story. We decide when the story begins and when it ends. We decide what details to include and which to exclude. And I will tell you that to the extent that our stories are richer and deeper and more generous is the extent that we give others the opportunity to be in relationship with us, to connect to us deeply. And when we are stingy with our stories, when we withhold our stories from those around us, The stories get lost, and the people we so yearn to connect to cannot find a way in, cannot find their way in. Now, I I need to acknowledge there's some risk here, right? There's some risk in the storytelling. And the risk is, you know what? When we share our stories, these different parts of our lives, these pieces of our lives, when we give them up freely... We no longer possess them. Those stories, we no longer control their meaning. And the shared stories become part of our our collective understandings, our shared pool of meaning with all those interconnecting ripples leading us to that age, to that edge of mystery, leading us to that edge, to the sacred. And I believe that the telling of and listening to those stories actually strengthens our lives. The deep connections that are formed give us resilience, resilience against discouragement. They give us compassion for one another, joy and freedom in the knowing, joy and freedom in the knowing that we are not alone. But, you know, in the busyness of our days, with our focus on what's next to get done and the rush and the noise that fills our living, we can easily forget this. We forget to take the time, to take the risk, to sit together in the listening and the telling of our stories. I believe that we, if we were to remember this more often, 
If we were to stop and marvel at the vast interconnections of the universe that led us to this moment, here, present, alive, breathing, being, it would be a really great story to tell. So here's my prayer. My prayer for you. My prayer for me. My prayer for us all. Learn your stories. Share your stories with generosity and abandon. Be gentle. Be gentle with each other's stories. And in the telling and in the listening, allow yourself, allow yourself to connect more deeply with one another. And in so doing, may you connect to the ground of your being, to that sacred, holy ground of your being. Amen. May it be so. Let's pray together. Source of our life, of our being, the ground we we attached to and from which we come. We're grateful. We are so grateful for this day, for this air we breathe, for the life that flows through us, for the arcs of the lives of those around us. We're grateful for the chance to tell our story again and again. And to let our stories form us. Let them become who we know ourselves to be. We are blessed in this moment. And we are blessed in all moments. Amen.